tools for living, room to grow, a space of grace to become everything God wants us to be. You're listening to The Living Room Podcast with Joanna Weaver, episode 33. In 1 Peter 3.15, we're told, if someone asks you about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. Now, I don't know about you, but that's kind of a tall order. Are we able to articulate why we believe what we believe? Well, I'm really excited to have Hillary Morgan Ferrer with us today. She's the author of Mama Bear Apologetics, and she's not only going to talk to us about how to defend our faith, but how to do it, as 1 Peter 3.15 says, in a gentle and respectful way. And she's going to give us tips and tools to help our children understand why they believe so that they can stand in an increasingly pagan world. Well, you guys, I am so excited to introduce you to my guest today. Hillary Morgan Ferrer is the founder of Mama Bear Apologetics, and I, I am just excited to see what God has for this conversation today. Welcome to the living room, Hillary. Thank you for having me. Oh, this is going to be fun. We've had quite a few technical difficulties as we've gotten ready for this, so I'm excited to see what God has in store. Absolutely. I say the more technical difficulties, the more this message is not supposed to get out, but we shall persevere. Amen. Amen. Well, when I first saw your book, I just the title was like, oh my goodness, it's so much fun just to say Mama Bear Apologetics. <laughs> and actually, some of our ladies are doing it here at the church and really enjoying it. But tell us, how did how did God bring you to this spot and, and writing this book? Uh, this is a, an interesting story. So um, first off, one of the things that I always have to tell people when I do interviews is that I am not myself a mother. Uh, I had I had cancer uh, right during the time when I would be kind of, we would be starting a family. So uh, several years ago, uh, so in general, I struggle with insomnia, but sometimes the insomnia is because I just have some thought going through my head. And if I can just write it down, then I think, okay, if I can get it on paper, then my mind doesn't have to sit there and be like, you know, trying to ruminate on it so much and trying to remember it for the morning. So I had several nights in a row that I couldn't sleep. And I just had this phrase, mama bear apologetics going through my head. And so what I did was I just started writing down whatever I could. I just, I mean, basically my thing was I wanted to get to sleep, but after about three or four nights of this, I thought, holy cow, I've got like an entire ministry laid out here. And at that point, it was kind of this aha moment of, I think the Lord's calling me to do this. And I, my immediate response was kind of like Moses, where I said, um, Lord, I think you've called the wrong person because <laughs> I don't have kids and I've never done women's ministry before. Um but I really kind of felt the Lord say strongly that, no, I've called the right person, number one, because you have something that a lot of moms don't have, and that's time to research, uh, which is true. And number two, that this is, uh, you're not going to be a mother of physical children, uh, probably not even foster or adopted children, but you can be a mother of spiritual children. So this is my way of, of making you a mother. If, if you equip the moms out there, to be the best moms they can be, then you have been the best mother that you can be. And so it, it kind of was like, um, I don't know, this kind of redemption feeling that he said, I called the right person and this is the way that you're going to be a mom is by equipping other moms to equip their to equip their kids. 
Oh, I love that so much, Hillary. God is so creative, isn't he? <laughs> I was so sure that nobody was going to listen to me. And I've, I've, every single time someone's asked me for an interview, I've, I, before the book, because it's in the book, you know, so if they've read the book, they know that I don't have kids. But every other time someone asked just for the ministry before the book came out, I said, you know, I just want to make sure that you know I don't have kids. Is that still okay? And I just waited every single time for them to be like, oh, well, mm, that we kind of want someone with a little more experience <laughs> being a mom, you know, for this this mom podcast. And nobody has ever said that to me. So I think that was just the enemy just trying to, he was feeding me lies about why I shouldn't be doing this ministry. And I have never had it come to pass. I mean, I'm sure it'll happen at some point, but but I've even had someone tell me, this is why I like her. We need we need a million more like her. I, I can't even tell you how much I cried when I saw that, uh, when they loved the fact that I wasn't a mom and I was writing to moms. So that that was, um, someone wrote that on Instagram and that that basically was like, I think the final punch of like, ha, Satan, you're wrong. I, I, I can do this and God has called me. Ah. Uh, that is so awesome. Well, and the, th the reality is, is while you might not be a mama, you do bring some really important qualifications to the table. Uh, Hillary has her master's in biology and her specialties are in scientific apologetics, critiques of the Darwinian mechanism, dealing with doubt and identifying causes and solutions for youth leaving the church. And can I just tell you, we need all of that so very much. So I, I'm glad. I'm so glad that God uh, <laughs> laid that on your heart. Yeah. I, I, he's so, so creative and he doesn't waste a single thing. You know, a lot of us know, we know the mama bear part. We're like, oh yeah, I relate to that. <laughs> but there's some listeners out there that are like, apologetics, uh, what is that? Can you, can you fill in the blank there for us? I can. So yeah, that was, I was hoping to, you know, teach people about apologetics by bringing them in with the mama bear because they know the mama bear part. And so they thought, well, if it's a mama bear thing, then maybe I should figure out what this, this word is. Uh, so apologetics comes from the Greek word apologia, which means to give a defense for something. And so when we say give a defense, we're not meaning being defensive, but rather this is what early lawyers were called, kind of like, uh, you know, first, second century uh, they were giving reasons for things. It's like when you think of a lawyer, they're trying to make the best case possible for why something is true. And so that's exactly what apologists do is they are making the base, best case possible for why something is true. Now, you don't just have to be a Christian apologist. Christian apologetics would be making the best case for why Christianity is true. But as like when I talk to youth who are maybe unfamiliar with the term, I say, raise your hand if you have a band or an artist or a TV show or a movie that you think is just objectively superior or above all others, and you know a hundred reasons why. And of course, they all, or a sports person, and of course, they all raise their hand um, for that. And I said, how much more important is your eternal salvation? The thing in which you base your eternal salvation on, how many more reasons should you have for that? Because I think there's this misnomer in, 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 Christianity sometimes that we need to have a blind, that a blind faith is a purer faith. Mm. And I don't think that's the case because I, when I look at Hebrews 11, one, when it talks about what faith is of being sure of what you hope for and certain of what you do not see, then anything that makes us more sure and more certain actually increases our faith. And so apologetics is uh, having those reasons instead of just saying, well, 
the Bible says so, or my parents said so, or my pastor said so, you can look at it and say, no, um, logic, history, reason, philosophy, they're all kind of backing it up. And I believe the Bible to be authoritative, but also I believe it because it makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. In fact, I'm um, working on a chapter for my book on trusting God and about a reasonable faith that that it does make sense. And and too often, I think sometimes we think of apologetics as like we're trying to make some kind of apology, and it's yes. the opposite. <laughs> it's the opposite. It is the opposite. So bringing that to the mama bear and, you know, I think the thing that I love about your book is as I was looking through it, it, it's, it's not, it's not coming up with this rigid defensiveness. Mm -hmm. It's not the mama bear as sometimes we see mama bears that, um, you know, are just out to destroy people. (laughs) So tell us, bring that together. What does a mama bear apologist look like? So that's one of the things that we are very clear in the book, that we demolish ideas. We do not demolish people. And I, I like to talk about the uh, the verse that says that people are held captive to bad philosophy, that we're not dealing with enemies when we have people who have differing beliefs. We're dealing with captives. And so if we think of the ideas holding this person captive, our goal is to separate the person from the idea. And so I kind of compare it to if you watch any of those, um, I kind of like the, the detective shows or whatever, the police shows, where if they want to, if someone's being held hostage, uh, you know, let's say that the perpetrator has their arm around them, you know, with a gun to their head. If you don't have a clear shot at the perpetrator, you don't take the shot because you might accidentally hit the victim. Yeah. And so I think sometimes with people, they, they go so vehemently against the ideas that they don't bother to separate the person from the idea. And so they end up basically just kind of trashing the person, which is a horrible way to go about trying to show the aroma of Christ. Uh, and so we are, and to be a mama bear apologist, one of the things that we emphasize over and over and over in this book is discernment and specifically discernment in the realms of looking for areas of agreement before you look for areas of disagreement. Ooh, I like that a lot. Yes. And I I find that almost anything, because people don't believe things for really bad, bad reasons. I mean, they usually have a good intention. They have a good motive. Uh, They have something that they think is good and pure and true that they're holding on to. And if we look for what they think is good and pure and true, a lot of times we're going to find that we agree with them. We just disagree on how it it kind of manifests itself. And so if we can say, ooh, I stand with you for against injustice. I stand with you against racism. I stand with you against misogyny. I stand with you against uh, abuse that's happening. I can stand with you on all these things I, uh, against oppression. I can stand with you on those. Now, your solutions to that problem, I think, maybe aren't necessarily the best way to go about that. So here's how I think scripture actually approaches you know, you know having true justice and true racial reconciliation and, and true peace between the genders and, and all the things that people are fighting about right now. The idea of truth. Here's how the Bible presents it, which I think is a better way to present it. But let's talk about this. And so you're affirming their motives while uh, disagreeing with the idea and helping to separate them. And you're building bridges before you start trying to dismantle a bad idea. And I think that's a huge difference from how we've seen 
um, some apologetics in the past, which has just been kind of um, a Christian fight club, you know, debating an atheist. Um, I think it's different from there in terms of who we're going after, but also, uh, you know, like in the sense of, is this an evangelistic thing, but also as a discipleship thing for teaching people why they believe and not falling to these bad ideas as a Christian. Exactly. Well, you know, the Bible is really clear. Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. And so if we're only going just loaded for bear, <laughs> mama bear, if, if that's our only motivation. And I agree. I mean, uh, I think the world is so hungry for people who can have a reasonable conversation, I, especially in today's climate, even among Christians. I keep thinking of the verse um, in the NIV. It says, let your gentleness be evident to all. But in the New King James, it says, let your reasonableness be evident to all. Mm, I like that. We need this. And I think that's what's so important about this book is not only not only for us as mamas to train our children, but I think the whole body of Christ needs to have a new approach. Yes, I agree. One more thing about the mama bear that I'd also like to say is the idea of that she's not going against things because she hates them. She's doing it because she loves something else more. Mm. It's uh, kind of like the phrase where the, the shepherd doesn't hate the wolf as much as he loves the sheep. And I would say that the mother, uh, the mama bear does not hate the ideas as much as she loves her children who are being attacked by those ideas. Oh, exactly. And I do think it's important not only as mothers, but also just as Christians ourselves, we were all being kind of, there's this onslaught of the Christian worldview. And you pointed out in your book that, you know, we are not very far away from being a non-Christian nation. Uh, it used to be that everyone believed that the Bible was the inspired word of God. We don't have that commonality anymore. Why is it important for us as mamas, but also as Christians to really understand why we believe what we believe? Mm. Uh, this is actually a, a series that we're going through in our church right now. It's uh, it's interesting how the Lord sometimes puts the same uh, burden of idea onto multiple people. I think that's a lot of times how you know the Lord's trying to emphasize something. So in church, we're going through a series on living as exiles, which is something that I've been thinking about for this past year, is this idea that we're going to be living as exiles. And so one of the things that we have to be teaching our kids is this idea of, first of all, we talk in, in the Mama Bear book about emotionalism. The more I feel something, the more true it is. Well, if we apply that to salvation, if one of our kids doesn't feel saved on a particular day, according to emotionalism, they're not saved hmm. um, because emotions apparently determine truth. And so being convinced of why we believe what we believe is going to be absolutely crucial because no one's going to suffer. No one's going to let themselves be slandered. No one's going to let themselves be shamed into believing something that, uh, or, or for believing something that they're not actually totally sure if it's true or not. And so in that sense, I think apologetics is going to be so vitally important because we can't just have kids who know what the Bible teaches. They need to know why the Bible is trustworthy and why it is worth suffering for. Because as we're entering this post-Christian time in our country, uh, one of the biggest tactics that I see going on is shame. It's shaming people for what they believe. Again, 
uh, chapter four goes into something called linguistic theft, where we're taking concepts and words and ideas and we're changing the definition. So for an example, the concept of love is being changed to say, instead of, you know, what it's described in scripture in like Corinthians 13, first Corinthians 13, it's being described as anything that makes someone uncomfortable, uh, accepting someone exactly as they are and everything they do as they are. And if you don't accept everything about a person, then that's being unloving. Right. And so our kids are going to be shamed. In fact, actually, I've got a, I've got a, a good quote here in this book called Rules for Radicals. And it's basically a handbook. It's by a man named Saul Alinsky. Uh who is talking about, well, first off, you should recognize he has his dedication to Lucifer in the beginning. So that oh, should um, wow. that should give you an idea of where he's starting from. Yeah. So he calls Lucifer the original radical, but I marked a couple pages in here and it has a very much the ends justify the means kind of mentality. And it gives you different rules for that. And so here on page 36, it says the 10th rule of ethics means and ends is that you do what you can with what you have and you clothe it in moral arguments or in moral garments wow. and arguments. So it's this idea of whatever they're bringing in, you need to clothe it in moral garments. So this idea of changing the definition of love, changing the definition of injustice, changing the definition of um, oppression, you have to clothe it in moral garments. And so he goes on on page 44 and says, all effective actions require the passport of morality. So think about that. Which is just crazy because apart from God, there is no morality. Uh, exactly. What they're doing is they're taking the words that God has given for morality and they're changing the definitions to fit what their morality is. And then they're putting that on our kids and saying, well, your God says to be a God of justice, but this is what this mm. looks like. Your God says to be a God of love, but this is what this looks like. And so our kids are saying, hey, this person's right. I am supposed to be loving. I am supposed to fight for the oppressed. But when you change the definition of who's oppressed and what constitutes oppression, you can actually make someone start affirming sin and you can shame them into affirming sin by saying you're being unloving, oppressive, and unjust. Wow. Because it's clothed in those moral garments. And that is the kind of, um, I would say, what's the word? That's the kind of um, persecution that we're going to start seeing happening now that it's not persecuted. I would say the original persecution, if you look at like first century, where people were being fed to lions, that was saying you submit or you're, um, or we, you know, feed you to the lions. They're not asking for our outward obedience. Um, as much as they're asking for our ideological agreement. And they're going to shame us into that first before they try to force us to submit. They actually, instead of saying, we only care about your actions, we also care about what you actually believe. And you will be shamed for believing what you say you believe. And we're going to use these moral arguments that you supposedly agree with according to your Bible. And that's how insidious this is. Yeah, yeah. So how do how do we start? How do we start to build that moral foundation for our kids? Yeah, I think there's a couple different things. It's like, number one is just knowing what the word says. The way that scripture is being twisted is, is not just within the atheist realm, but also within Christian, uh, Christian realm. If you look at the chapter on progressive Christianity, if you listen to some of the stuff that um, one of the, the, the authors of the book who wrote the progressive Christianity, Elisa Childers talks about, 
we are seeing these perversions starting to happen in the church. So number one is you need to know what scripture says so that when, when someone twists it, that you can tell the difference. Um, but secondly, and this is one of the ones that I think is the most eye-opening for most women that I've talked to, is when you learn how to spot these buzzwords, these linguistically thefted words, and you start to learn, oh, and some of these isms, you start saying, okay, what's, what's the bite-sized message of this ism? You start seeing it everywhere. So I think kind of becoming aware of the lies that are being perpetu- um, perpetuated I think just being aware is that first step. And then also knowing what scripture says. So you can always compare it against that. Those two things right there, that that's the starting point. Well, and that's what makes your book so powerful because you really kind of break it, break it down into some topical things that uh, kids are being um, assaulted with. And you give us um, the roar method. Can you talk about that? Yes, I loved. Okay, so the funny, the funny story about the roar method is it started out as the six D's, and um, like you know, it was like discernment, discipleship, and uh, you know, there was this six. I still can't remember what right. they are, but that's the reason why we scrapped it. Is like we can't remember what they are. How is anyone else going to remember what they are? <laughs> uh, so we're like, we need a better, we need an acronym. So yeah, so we came up with the roar method, which basically kind of squeezed the six D's into into that acronym, but it stands for recognize the message. And so this is like taking what's going on and paring it down to its real base message of like what's really being said here. Sometimes it's going to be unstated assumptions or unstated messages. But if you really look at it, you're like, okay, that's the message that's being that's being brought before people. So recognize the message. Uh, second step is offer discernment. And I, I tell people, I have like this little hand thing that I do, but you can't see me that um, we need to um, separate the good from the bad, accept the good and reject the bad. So it's this idea that basically most uh, most lies will be covered in partial truths. And so if we just outright, outright reject anything that someone says, we're missing the partial truth that it's wrapped in. And they're going to say, wow, this person's ignoring this really, this this truth here. They don't know what they're talking about and you lose all credibility. So what we have to do is we have to say, what is the partial truth that is wrapped around that lie? And we need to affirm that. Affirm, affirm, affirm. So that first step, affirm the good and reject the bad. That is the method of discernment that we're doing there. So that's recognize the message, offer discernment. Third is argue for a healthier approach. So in the offer discernment one, when we said we affirm the good, now in argue for a healthier approach, we're going to say, okay, this is the ground that we can both stand on. So let's talk about how scripture actually addresses this in a better way. And how how does scripture, the goal that you're trying to, this good goal that this person is espousing, how does scripture actually actually address that issue in a healthier way? And so we start looking about what does scripture say about this? How can we achieve the same goals, but maybe with different means through biblical means? Um, And so then the final one, the final R is reinforce through the discussion, discipleship, and prayer. So this has a couple different aspects. The discussion, we just kind of give kind of starting discussion tips that you could have with your kids, ways to talk with them about these isms. A discipleship, sometimes we'll have little activities that we think would be uh, a fun thing to do to reinforce the ideas. And then finally, the prayer. We have this wonderful woman named uh, Julie Lose who has been with Moms in Prayer for like, oh golly, 
20 years, I think, that went through and outlined each one of the chapters and then wrote just theologically rich prayers for each one of these isms that you can pray over your kids. Because we we have to know that the war is not just against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and the powers and the authorities of this dark world. And that's, you know, fighting that battle on our knees is uh, probably even more important than doing anything else. We need to be doing all of it, but we cannot leave out prayer. Yes. Yes, yes. Well, and the thing I love as you you actually each chapter you break it down using that roar method to kind of give us some handholds that I think are really powerful of of how we can actually walk our kids through thinking these things through. You know, how are are you seeing the kids? Got any stories of kids that are actually you feel like they're really catching it and and they're making it their own? Oh, yeah. So uh, one of our one of our mama bears, she's not up on the website yet. Her name's Amanda Burke. She just kind of found me <clears throat> probably uh, sometime last fall and has just been such a proponent. But uh, she's got a picture of her daughter sitting there reading the book that the, her daughter wouldn't give her back the book because she was like, this is amazing. And then I've had other moms with uh, kids in high school that just started reading it and saying, oh, my gosh, I need to give this to all my friends. Um we we've had some ladies talk about uh <laughs> this one woman I love it on the book launch team. Her uh I can't remember if it's her son or daughter, but has been known now to scream out in a um in a movie theater, bad worldview. Uh when they <laughs> when they hear a bad worldview, which to me I just I would love to be in that movie theater and be like, I need to shake the hand of whatever parent that is right there. Um, and so it's, it's been really fun. And I think one of the, the most fun things is, especially with women sending me, uh, pictures of either messages that they see on t-shirts or it'll be paused on the TV with the closed captions in it with, you know, some guy saying, well, I need to follow my truth. And they'll send this picture and they're like, oh, I can't not see this stuff anymore. Uh, so I think it is this idea that once you start to see it, you can't not see it. And in some ways, that's good. In some ways, it's like, oh, my gosh, the world just changed. I was it the red pill, you know, from the Matrix. I took the red pill and now I can't not see all this stuff. Um, <laughs> so I think women are starting to see it. They're passing it on to their kids. And I think kids are kind of having having a good time making a game out of it. So I think that's a win win. Yeah. Yeah. Well, unfortunately, we're we're kind of losing our opportunities to disciple our kids in in biblical truth and so bringing the word and making it applicable to the things that they're facing, I think is so powerful. And and I think youth pastors, children's pastors, uh Sunday school teachers, I think all of you guys could really benefit from your this book. You know, one of the things that as I was just thinking over my children, I've got two grown kids and now a 17-year-old and um wanting them to have a strong faith. You know, one of the things you talk about is we shouldn't expect our children to fall away. You know, they don't have to. And I think that that's a really important thing. But you know, not beyond beyond knowing how to give an answer and a, a reasoned faith. You know, one of the things I've just been praying is, Lord, would you make yourself real to my children? Because we can have all kinds of head knowledge and we can turn into wonderful little Pharisees, <laughs> but, but we don't experience the true life change, which honestly I think is the very best 
part of the good news is that Jesus not only came to save us from our sins, he came to give us life and life more abundantly. What would you say to mamas as they're, as they're wanting to shepherd their kids and wanting to disciple them and, and to give them the tools they need to stand in this present age? One of my fears is that if I arm them, that they may not use those weapons in a loving way or come mm. from a really Christ-like place. How, what can we do in that arena? Uh, that's a really good question because I think that um, I, I have this – kids are really black and white thinkers. And so I, I remember being this way when I was a kid. There's this something I kind of jokingly refer to as the you're going to hell syndrome yeah. uh, where – when younger kids kind of start learning the kind of real black and white parts of the Bible, all of a sudden they're really excited to tell everybody else that doesn't believe that you're going to hell, you're going to hell. Um, And it's one of those things that we have to recognize that these are developmental stages. Um, I've kind of noticed a lot of different developmental stages within Christianity, even for people who convert at a later age. And basically it kind of goes along the lines of that we're always more judgmental. We're always the most judgmental on where we just came from. Ah, And I think if people understand this pattern, they can learn to protect against it. And they can also give grace to people when they see them doing this. Uh, And that this is the idea. So we'll say that someone has been living a very worldly life and they finally become a Christian. Well, now they're kind of really judgmental on people who haven't come to Christ. You need to know what I know. And they want to tell everything everybody, everything. And then maybe they start cleaning up their life some. And then all of a sudden they notice these people that call themselves Christians who haven't cleaned up their life. And all of a sudden their, their, you know, their main focus is getting those people to clean up their life because, you know, I did it so you can do it. Um, And then you keep going to where, oh, well, maybe I should start doing spiritual disciplines. Well, now all the people that are just, you know, not smoking and having sex, but they don't actually read their Bible. Okay, you need to read your Bible. And and I'm going to, that's, that's now my mission. And you actually will get, and I know all of this because um, I watched myself go through some of these stages, the stages uh, that I think are the funniest ones that I watched myself go through is when you get to the point of where um, I had been very judgmental at some point, and then I got past being judgmental. And then I was judgmental on the people who were judgmental. <laughs> <laughs> It's so true. It's so true. I think that's where I I was like, huh, there's a pattern here. And so now it's like I'm to the place where it's like I kind of see what stage people are in and I can give them grace. And when someone's super judgmental, I'm like, you know what? I was there. And then when I see people who are judgmental on people who are judgmental, I was like, you know what? I went through that one too. So uh, I think God is faithful to to bring us through it. So I think that's one thing. I'm trying to remember the original question, but I'll I'll just keep going with what I'm saying. Uh, but also with kids, I liked you were kind of going into this idea of number one, knowledge puffs up, but but love builds up, and the idea of the love of Christ and the experience of Christ is one of the most important things that we can give our children. And this is where I think it's really really important for parents to understand personality types with their kids because. When we talk about evidence, there's like this real narrow uh, concept of evidence. Oh, we're giving evidences for the resurrection. We're giving evidences for the existence of God. But when it comes to personality type, personality type actually determines what constitutes evidence for a specific person. Mm, interesting. Talk about that. 
So, uh, for example, if, if you've ever done Myers-Briggs, one of the things on there would be the thinker versus feeler. And all that is, is saying the person who values outcomes and more logical facts or the person who values more uh, relationships and harmony. So it's not like, you know, thinkers don't feel or feelers don't think. It's more like, how do you make decisions? So this right. idea of how do you make decisions, ideally, we should make decisions based on evidence. So if you have a child like me, <laughs> who was just a question asker from the very beginning, I need to know those intellectual questions. I need to know those intellectual answers. I need to be able to, it's kind of like which direction people go first. It's like they either go head first and that's how it seeps into their heart, or they go heart first and that's how it seeps into their head. So if you have someone that's more the emotional, that's more the feeler, they value testimony, they value experience then evidence for them will be that testimony, will be that experience. Now, someone who is more of a thinker can just wave, wave, you know, emotion and experience away as like, you know, that's just chemicals in the brain. That changes every day. My emotions all, all over the place. I need something that doesn't move. That's, that's like me. I need something that doesn't move, something that's not based on my emotions. So for me, evidence is going to be objective evidence. And that, that knowledge doesn't puff me up. That, that evidence actually gives me faith. Um, so I would just say learning your kid's personality type. So if you want to know if they're kind of the thinker or the feeler, how many questions are, there, are they asking are, are they, do they ask a lot of questions? If you if they ask a lot of questions, you probably have a thinker on your hands and you need to start helping them with the intellectual aspects of being able to defend the faith. Um, if you have someone who is really more of a feeler, who um, bases a lot of their decisions on experiences, well, then I think it's wonderful to really uh, focus on the experiential aspect of Christ. They need to still have the intellectual to fall back on because again, our emotions will be all over the place, but it's okay to maybe focus on things. Oh, and there's actually a third category, which I call the doers. I call them the thinker feelers and doers. The doers are the ones that are maybe not as emotional. They're maybe not as intellectual, but they really value seeing change. So for example, um, I've, I've known some, um, uh, my nephews mentioned to my sister at one point, uh, several years back, when she took them to some kind of service thing, like a soup kitchen or going to help out with something or helping out with underprivileged kids. And they told her, we really enjoyed that. We really want to do that again. So sometimes doers don't want to talk about their feelings. They don't really want to talk about intellectual stuff, but serving in really practical ways actually it reinforces their faith because when you're doing, we do what we believe. Mm. That's just kind of a the nature of you know, if you want to know what someone really believes, look at what they do. The more they do is actually increasing their faith. So looking at if you have a thinker, feeler, or doer, know what constitutes evidence for them and then tailor that to your kids. That is so good. That is so good. One of the girls in my private Facebook group um, asked this question, how do you effectively teach your kids what's right in such a way that you show them the truth and still leave room for them to choose to follow Christ for themselves? Mm. I hear this question a lot. I'm interested in how you would answer it. I That's a great, I think one of the things that uh, we can do is we can introduce them to alternate views and alternate worldviews and alternate religions. 
And then we can take a look at, and I know this is a bit of a pragmatist approach, um, this idea, I don't, I don't affirm that we should be pragmatist in the sense of like, it's true if it works, because there's a lot of things that work that are not true. Right. Uh, but at the same time, I think a cohesive worldview is going to answer more questions than it than it creates. And we can look at if if we actually followed the teachings, let's say of the New Testament, would the world be better or would it be worse? You know, the idea of turn the other cheek, the idea of loving your enemies, uh, these kinds of things. I think exposing them in small bits to the alternate theories, while at the same time having a reason for why we reject that it, it, it maybe but let them struggle for a little bit ask them about that what would the lo- world look like if everybody believed this what are some of the implications so for example there's a a line in the i think it's in the uh, new spirit it's either new spirituality it's one of elisa's chapters in the book where it's talking about pantheism where she says something along the lines of you know th- that everything is god and god is one so there's basically no difference between god your dog and the tree your dog just peed on. Yeah. If that's your view of God, is that something that you want to worship? Like that that's included in the tree that your dog just peed Mm on. Um, It's kind of picking things apart and looking and saying, does this make sense? And is this the best explanation? And I would, I would just posit that Christianity is the best explanation. So we not only need to show them how it's a good explanation, but also maybe how some of the other ones fail as well. But also say, you know, these are some of the things they're getting right. So we have a girl named Lindsay Medenwalt, who has been working for the last year doing a, a world religion series on on the Mama Bear, uh, po- uh, not podcast, the, the articles, the blog. And one of the things that we include in, in all of those is what can we learn from this religion? Because there's things that they're doing really well. I mean, you look mm-hmm. at the Mormons at how well they do family, at how well they do evangelism. You look at uh, Islam and the how devout they are in their prayer life. Um, there's things that we can learn. So I think not presenting things as black and white is probably the number one thing you can do for your kids. Teaching them to discern, because I think I say in the Mama book, Bear book, um, if you teach your, you, you, there's no such thing as autopilot in the Christian life. We always have to be discerning things. I really like how you say that because if we're willing to make room for questions, when the questions come, they won't throw them for a loop like a lot of young kids, well, teenagers, you know, you, you share some of the statistics that our teens are leaving the church as once they've graduated. Um, they're lo- leaving their mm-hmm. faith because they don't know how to answer the challenges. And I would say uh, along those lines, this is my theory of what happens, is that throughout their life, they're asking questions. And you kind of have a, a kid with a gracious reading who's wanting to have answers. But the more kind of vague or just have faith, or if we knew everything, we wouldn't need faith, or you know, God's just mysterious... Uh, kind of answers that we give them, the more we teach them that there aren't good answers to their questions, that that God can be stumped by the logic of a four-year-old or an eight-year-old, that's a bad precedent to set. And so it may not make them walk away from their faith right there, but what's happening is they're putting those questions kind of in their proverbial back pocket. Mm -hmm. And what is going to happen later is they're going to encounter either, number one, a sin that they don't want to give up, or number two, a, um, a an emotional wound that they don't know how to get past. 
And at that point, they uh, they walk away from the faith. And when you say, why have you walked away? They're not going to talk about the sin and they're not going to talk about the emotional wound. They're going to reach into their back pocket at all those questions that were either not answered or poorly answered. And they're going to hand you those and say, this is why I don't believe because you couldn't answer it then. They're guessing you can't answer it now. And it actually protects uh, the real reasons that they're walking away. Mm. Uh, and so I think that's why it's important to be answering these along the way. But I also think there's a, a good uh, case to be made for something that my old pastor's wife back when I was in high school, uh, a saying that I love, I can still hear her saying it. It's it's hilarious because she was referring to sex. <laughs> if you wanted a good sex talk, you went over to the pastor's house and his wife was like, okay, let's, let's talk about this. Um, but her philosophy was, I don't want my children hearing anything that they haven't heard in my kitchen first. Mm, that is so good. Wow. I know. I love that. And so I think when it comes to the idea of objections to Christianity, that's the approach we need to take. Mm -hmm. When it comes to objections to Christianity, we don't want our kids hearing anything that they haven't heard in our kitchen first and that we didn't already address with them and kind of help refute at the same time. I love it. I love it. You know, I, as we're talking, I keep thinking of Paul. You know, he was uh, definitely a black and white thinker as Saul, <laughs> you know, and he decided that he was going to destroy Christianity and then God knocked him off his high horse and, and he, he was transformed to, into a man who was willing to entertain the questions. And I keep thinking about how he went, I believe it was to Athens, and he sees all of these temples and all of these different gods. And rather than going on a rampage, he found the common ground. He found the common ground. He says, I perceive that, that you are very religious. Let me tell you about this unknown God that you have honored. Let me tell you about him. And I wonder if we could get that in our heart. Ah, he totally followed the roar method. I love it. <laughs> I know. See, he's probably going, way to go, girls. <laughs> <I'm>, <laughs> yeah. And, and I think that that's honestly what the world is longing for, because as certain as they want to appear in all of their rejection of Jesus, they still long for something more. And if we can find that mm -hmm. common ground. But I keep thinking, we as adults— we need to learn this stuff so that we can share it with the next generation. And you guys have just made it so accessible. You keep mentioning you have different girls that, that have different, um, different chapters that probably specialize in that particular thing, which I love. It's not just coming from one viewpoint, mm -hmm. but, but from a lot of research. And what would you, what would you say for that woman who's like, I don't think I can understand it? My my eyes are kind of glazing over already. What if I can't get it? What do I do then, Hillary? First thing to do. So go, even if you don't want to buy the book, go to Barnes & Noble and get the book uh, or, or just look at the book and go to chapter 16. Mm. <laughs> chapter 16, Everett, this is the advice that I give. In fact, I've got the book in front of me. I'll, I'll pull it open here. Uh this is what I, the advice that I give to anyone when they say, oh, I'm feeling overwhelmed. So the chapter 16 is titled, How to Take All This Information and Roar Like a Mother. Uh, and so we have uh, personal messages from every single one of the moms in here that, that, uh, that contributed, all the contributors. So I'll just pick one. I'll pick Teasy's here. 
She says, uh, my biggest encouragement is that you be kind and gracious to yourself as you digest all the information you've just read. This may have been the first time you've heard some of the terms in this book or to think more deeply about the issues we have addressed. And that's totally okay. Instead of beating yourself up over what you don't know, something I'm prone to do if I'm not on guard, be encouraged that you are learning. You're choosing to love God with your mind, which isn't always easy. And so she goes on and we, we have, uh, and then I think Elisa talks about in hers that says, um, I'm always amazed at how God takes the one thing I studied last week to help answer the question from a friend or a loved one this week. And so it's this idea of do what you can with what you've got. And when you start feeling overwhelmed, go to chapter 16 (laughs) for just a reminder that it's okay to go slow. It's okay to sometimes feel a little bit overwhelmed that what you're doing matters and you don't have to do it in one fell swoop that just, uh, yeah. It's okay to do bite-sized chunks, and I really do think that this book makes it bite-sized, and that that is one of the compliments that I've gotten and the encouragements that I've gotten from this book is how accessible it is and how easy of a read it is, and yet at the same time being very informative. So we, we really tried to take these concepts and just put them in a really non-intimidating way, but the second you start feeling intimidated, flip to chapter 16 and get some encouragement and then just keep going. I love it. Well, sometimes I think we need to live with things a little bit too Mm. and turn them over in our mind because there's a lot of us that really haven't, we haven't even really thought through our Christianity. And and I have found I cannot give away what I do not have. (laughs) And, And so if I can give myself time to really think through and even, and maybe even allow myself to have some objections. Because a lot of us haven't even thought through our own objections. And as we do that, I think we come up with that reasoned faith, that foundational faith that lasts. Well, as we close, I I just want to thank you. I want to thank you for being willing to do the hard work. This is not light lifting. (laughs) What you guys have done and, and, and I think, I think, you know, we talked before we went on, the enemy does not want us to be reasonable, well-thought Christians. He wants us to be reactionary or he wants us just to pull back and be, and like you talked about, kind of operate from shame. And I won't talk about it. I'll just hold on till Jesus comes. And, and we're missing this opportunity to share this most precious treasure. We really do have the good news. We have the news that the world needs to hear. And, and I love that you're, um, you're giving us well-thought reasons to share um, with people who, whether they know it or not, are very, very hungry for the life that only Jesus can give. Yeah. As we close, um, can you just tell us, where can we find more? I know you guys have a podcast. What are some of the other resources you have available? Yeah, so we've got uh, just on the Mama Bear Apologetics website, and I always like to specify it's M-A-M-A. It's so funny, the number of variations of Mama I've had people send me. (laughs) Yeah, I'm like, I had no idea there was, I think one of them was like M-O-M-A. I'm like, Museum of Modern Art. (laughs) Um, And uh, so yeah, M-A-M-A, bearapologetics.com. And so we have articles where we're ha- I'm trying to do kind of focus on series uh, in terms of instead of just doing single blog posts, maybe having a series that's uh, addressing certain things. So we have the series from 
Lindsay Medenwalt that's going through world religions. I have a series right now that I'm doing on the genderbred curriculum, which is basically the uh, LGBTQ plus gender curriculum that's being introduced into schools as young as first grade, where mm. it divides, uh, you know, biological sex from gender, from gender expression, from sexual orientation. It's like, it's this, I mean, first grade just got real confusing. Um, but just kind of talking about each one of these aspects and, uh, and, and kind of helping parents address that with their kids. So anyway, we're trying to do series on blogs. We're trying to do some more series in the podcasts. Uh, starting up soon, we're going to be having a series on uh, Richard Dawkins' book that's aimed at kids called Outgrowing God, mm-hmm. where we're going to be talking about those basic atheist arguments that that are being thrown at kids. Um, we have something that uh, we do occasionally, which is the uh, audio apologetics blog, where if we just find an article that we're like, ooh, this is a really good article, we'll just read it. Uh, for you, because sometimes you don't have time to sit down and read, but you have time for a, a five to ten minute little little article. So we have all of those, and uh, and yeah, and then the Mama Bear Apologetics book. I just encourage women not only to read it, but to start a group together. Every single woman that I, I've known that has started reading this book has said the same thing. Oh, I want to do this with a group because we do have discussion questions at the end of each chapter and they're not like those, oh, just regurgitate what I told you kind of questions. They're the kind of questions that actually facilitate discussion that really make you think deeper uh, about what you've been learning. And it's just fun to do it with other women. So, um, yeah, those are some of my recommendations. That's great. That's great. Uh, Well, thank you so much, Hillary, for this time. It has been so, so sweet. Thank you for all you do. Please give your team our deepest gratitude. I will. Thank you so much for having me on. And this is this is a really fun podcast. Uh, I enjoyed it as well. God bless you, my friend. Thanks, you too. I hope you were encouraged today to dive deeper into your faith, to not be afraid to wrestle with the hard questions, but to really think through what you believe, especially with your kids. You can find a link to Hillary's books as well as her excellent resources over the show notes, joannaweaverbooks.com forward slash 033. I so appreciate Hillary's heart to equip us to be able to give an answer for the hope that lies within us. Because you guys, we have a world that desperately needs to know the good news of Jesus Christ. Hey, if you're new to the podcast, uh, hey, why don't you take some time this summer and go through the archives? We've got some wonderful past episodes. You can find them over at my website, as well as on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, anywhere and everywhere podcasts are played. And if you enjoy what you hear, it would sure mean a lot if you take time to leave a rating or a review. Uh, You know what I'm doing with my favorite podcasts? I'm subscribing. That way, the episodes just automatically show up where I listen. It's our prayer that the living room not only encourages you, but it equips and empowers you in your faith and in your walk with Jesus. Because you guys, there's nothing more winsome, more beautiful than a life that's centered on Him. Living and loving and leading like Jesus. See you next time. God bless.